Good morning. Here is part four of U.S. President number eight, Martin Van Buren, election of 1848. Though he had previously helped maintain a balance between the barn burners and hunkers, the two factions of the New York Democratic Party, Van Buren moved closer to the barn burners after the 1844 Democratic National Convention. The split in the state party worsened during the Polk's presidency as his administration lavished patronage on the hunkers. In his retirement, Van Buren also grew increasingly opposed to slavery as the Mexican-American War brought the debate over slavery in the territories to the forefront of American politics. Van Buren published Van Buren published an anti-slavery manifesto. In it, he refuted the notion that Congress did not have the power to regulate slavery in the territories and argued the founding fathers had favored the eventual abolition of slavery. The document, which became known as the Barn Burner Manifesto, was edited at Van Buren's request by John Van Buren and Samuel Tilden, both of whom were leaders of the Barn Burner faction. After the public of the Barn Burner Manifesto, many Barn Burners urged the former President to seek his old office in the 1848 presidential election. The 1848 Democratic National Convention stated competed Barnburner and Hunker delegations from New York, but the Barnburners walked out of the convention when Lewis Cass, who opposed congressional regulation of slavery in the territories, was nominated on the fourth ballot. In response to the nomination of Cass, the Barnburners began to organize as a third party at a convention held in June 1848 in Utique. Utica, New York. The Barnes nominated Van Buren for president, though reluctant to bolt from the Democratic Party. Van Buren accepted the nomination to show the power of the anti-slavery movement to help defeat Cass and weaken the hunkers. At, the, at a convention held in Buffalo, New York in August 1848, a group of anti-slavery Democrats, Whigs, and members of the Abolitionist Liberty Party met in the first national convention of what became known as the Free Soil Party. The convention unanimously nominated Van Buren and chose Charles Francis Adams as Van Buren's running mate. In a public message accepting the nomination, Van Buren gave his first vote to for the Wilmot Proviso, a proposed law that would ban slavery in all territories acquired from Mexico in the Mexican-American War. Van Buren won no electoral votes, but finished second to Whig nominee Zachary Taylor in New York, taking enough votes from Cass to give the state a perhaps the election to Taylor. Nationwide, Van Buren won 10.1% of the popular vote, the strongest showing by a third-party presidential nominee up to that point in U.S. history. Retirement. Van Buren never sought public office again after the 1848 election, but he continued to closely follow national politics. He was deeply troubled by the stories of secessionism in the South that welcomed the Compromise of 1850 as a necessary conciliatory measure, despite his opposition to the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. Van Buren also worked on a history of American political parties and embarked on a tour of Europe, becoming the first former American head of state to visit Britain. Though still concerned about slavery, Van Buren and his followers returned to the Democratic fold, partly out of the fear that a continuing Democratic split would help the Whig Party. He also attempted to reconcile the barn burners and the hunkers with mixed results. Van Buren supported Franklin Pierce for president in 1852, James Buchanan in 1856, and Stephen A. Douglas in 1860. Van Buren viewed the fledging Know Nothing movement with contempt felt that the anti-slavery 
Republican Party exacerbated sectional tensions. He considered Chief Justice Roger Taney's decision in the 1857 case of Dred Scott versus Sanford to be a grievous mistake since it overturned the Missouri Compromise. He believed that the Buchanan administration handled the issue of polluting Kansas poorly and saw the Lecompton Constitution as a sop to Southern extremists. After the election of Abraham Lincoln and the secession of several Southern states in 1860, Van Buren unsuccessfully sought to call a constitutional convention. In April 1861, former President Pierce wrote to the other living former presidents and asked them to consider meetings to use their stature and influence to propose a negotiated end to the war. Pierce asked Van Buren to use his role as a senior living ex-president to issue a formal call. Van Buren's reply suggested that Buchanan should be the one to call the meetings since he was the former president who had served most recently or that Pierce should issue to call himself if he strongly believed in the merit of his proposal. Neither Buchanan nor Pierce was willing to make Pierce's proposal public, and nothing more resulted from it. Once the American Civil War began, Van Buren made public his support for the Union. Van Buren's health began to fall later in 1861, and he was bedridden with pneumonia during the fall and winter of 1861-1862. He died of bronchial asthma and heart failure in his Lindenwald estate at 2 a.m., on July 24, 1862, at the age of 79, he is buried in the Kinderhook Reform Dutch Church Cemetery, as are his wife, Hannah, his parents, and his son, Martin Van Buren, Jr. Van Buren outlived all four of his immediate successors, Harrison, Tyler, Polk, and Taylor. Legacy, Van Buren's most lasting achievement was a political organizer who built the Democratic Party and guided it to dominance in the second party system. And historians have come to regard Van Buren as integral to the development of the American political system. According to historian Robert Remini, Van Buren's creative contribution to the political development of the nation was enormous, and as such, he earned his way to the presidency. After gaining control of New York's Republican Party, he organized the Albany region to run the state in his absence while he pursued a national career in Washington. The regency was a governing Consul in Albany, consisting of a group of politically astute and highly intelligent men. He was one of the first statewide political machines in the country. Was success resulted from its professional use of patronage, the Legislative Caucus in the official party newspaper in Washington. He labored to bring about the reorganization of the Republican Party through an alliance between what he called the planters of the South and the plain Republicans of the North. His Democratic emphasized the importance of building popular majorities and it protect it perfected political techniques which would appeal to the masses. Heretofore parties were regarded as evils to be tolerated. Van Buren argued that the party system was the most sensible and intelligent way the affairs of the nation could be democratically con- conducted, a viewpoint that eventually won national approval. However, his president considered to be average at best by historians, he was blamed for the economic troubles and was defeated for re-election. His time in office was dominated by the economic disaster of the Panic of 1837, and historians have split on the axis of the independent treasury as a response to that issue. Civil writers have portrayed Van Buren as among the nation's most obscure presidents, as noted in the 2014 Time Magazine article on the top 10 forgettable presidents. Making himself nearly disappear completely for the history books was probably not the trick the little magician Martin Van Buren had in mind, but his his was the first truly forgettable American presidency. Memorials and popular culture. Van Buren's home in Kinderhook, New York, which he called Linderwald, is now the, the Mountain Van Buren National Historic Site. Counties are named for Van Buren in Michigan, Iowa, Arkansas, and Tennessee. 
Mount Van Buren, US, USS Van Buren, three state parks, and numerous towns were named after him. During the 1988 presidential campaign, George H.W. Bush, a Yale University graduate and member of the Skull and Bones Secret Society, was attempted to become the first incumbent vice president to win the election to the presidency Van Buren. In the comic strip, Doonesbury artist Gary Trudeau depicted members of Skull and Bones as attempting to rob Van Buren's grave, apparently intending to use the relics in a ritual that would aid Bush in the election. Van Buren is portrayed by Nigel Hawthorne in the 1997 film Amistad. The film depicts a legal battle starting the status of slaves who in 1830 rebelled against their transports on La Amistad's slave ship. On the television show Seinfeld, the episode The Van Buren Boys is about a fictional street gang that murders Van Buren and bases rituals and symbols on him, including a hand sign of eight fingers pointing up. Also in the episode of The Monkeys, Dance, Monkey, Dance, a dance instruction studio offers free lessons to anyone who could answer the question, who was the 8th President of the United States? Van Buren appears at the studio to claim the prize. Thank you for listening to this uh, episode on U.S. President Number 8, Martin Van Buren. Stay tuned for you, uh, the next president in succession. I hope you stay safe. Stay home if you can. Practice social distancing if you do go out. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Use universal precautions during this coronavirus pandemic as it extends it to 2021. As we look forward to enormously if or whenever that can happen. Uh, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the episode.